Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. This evening, I sat with Tom Pocock, Central London MD for St. Edward in Central London. Now, Tom spent 17 out of his 18-year career inside the Barclay Group, beginning as a line graduate and then uh, heading towards MD of West London, then MD of its strategic land business for Central and West, and now MD of Barclay St. Edward St. London. So I am fascinated by those who can create the opportunities for themselves in order to progress while still within a single business. So I am very looking forward to hearing how he and Tom has done this so expertly. So Tom, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Nick. Thanks very much for having me. So let's kick it off. How does chapter one begin? Chapter one begins uh, down in South Devon, Nick. I grew up in the middle of nowhere on a small piece of land with my parents and my two sisters. My dad ran a successful tool hire business in Torquay. Um, so I was always around machinery, tools, construction sites. And that's when I first developed a a passion for property and for business. And at secondary school, um, I loved doing business studies, economics. I took part in the Young young Enterprise Scheme. Um, I also like languages. Um, I was actually one of four pupils who did um, Russian A-level all the way through to the end of school. But I remember being in the careers library when I was probably about 16, and I found a leaflet on uh, a career in merchant banking which at the time sounded very appealing to me, combining business and languages, working in London, traveling the world. So I started thinking about, well, how do I get to become a merchant banker? And I spoke to my godfather, who was uh, an accountant, running an accountancy practice in Torquay. And he said, why don't you come do some work experience in, in the, in, with me and I'll um, teach you a few things about um, accountancy and finance. So I went down that route and I decided to apply to become, um, do an accountancy and finance degree at Southampton at the time I didn't really think about a career in property it was never something or construction it was never something that the school particularly um, pushed all I wanted to do really was work in London um, and, and and looking back in many respects I really am glad that I went down that initial route of doing an accountancy and finance degree because it taught me a lot about um, the basics of sort of business being an entrepreneur um, some basics around law um, all of which I really enjoyed and, and just before I went to university, my dad actually sold his business and started buying up uh, small blocks of uh, flats to rent out in Torquay. So I started working with him quite a lot on it, renovating the properties. I learned quite a few skills myself, um, a few trades. Um, and that's really where my interest in property really started to sort of take shape. And when I was at university, quite a few of my friends were applying to do audit roles at accountancy firms after university. But it never really appealed to me that much. I always wanted to work more on the finance side of the business. So I actually um, applied to become a finance graduate um, at BOC Gases, um, which was a very well-regarded scheme at the time. And I was very successful uh, in applying for that one and um, managed to land myself a role there. Before I did that, I actually had a really interesting three-month job in the summer before I went to university. I worked for um, a private hospital in Exeter and I was a theatre porter. And a theatre porter's role is is um, principally around taking patients to and from operating theatre. And actually, it's a really strange time for the patients because they're obviously leaving their family and friends behind their rooms. You've got to kind of chat with them and make them feel comfortable. And I found it really interesting, actually. I got to learn a lot about people. And I actually, it's probably one of the three months of my career that I probably put down as probably three of my, some of my most enjoyable time I ever had. And I was really sad when I actually had to leave there and go to university. Um, but after university, I uh, obviously started at 
BOC. Um, I was moved up to Sheffield to an accountancy uh, centre on an industrial estate on the outskirts of the city. It was a bit of a shock for me because um, up to a few weeks before I started that that um, that role, I was I was meant to be working in either Guildford or Basingstoke. Um, so it was quite a significant geographical move for me. It was it was a great place to work. Really, really interesting people. Some really funny banter with the the sort of Sheffield Sheffield crew, as I call them. I had a great boss called Gary Critchley at the time, who's gone on to do some fantastic roles in international businesses throughout the world. Keep an eye on him on LinkedIn still. I, I was getting involved in my early stage of my accountancy exams, and I got got interested, in, got involved in some interesting projects. But after about nine months, I started realizing that sitting behind a computer all day working on spreadsheet really wasn't what I wanted to do I just didn't think that it was a career that I wanted to spend a lot of time in so at the same time my my dad again had started doing some small-scale housing developments down in Devon and I remember speaking to him and saying I wanted to become a builder and he said are you sure you want to become a builder I said yeah I think so I think so he said well why don't you speak to a couple of people about what what that means so um, one of my dad's good friends, Alistair Salt, he ran a house building company called Millwood Homes down in Devon. And I spoke to him at quite a lot of length. And he said to me, you should go and work in London to start with, because you'll find it much more interesting. And you should probably go and work for a company called Barclay, because they are the best in the business. And also, you should go and work in land, because that's where you'll learn the most about how the business works. And it just happened to be that same week I saw a, an advert in the Times Career section for a graduate scheme at Barclay. I've actually still got that advert in a folder somewhere. I, I'd never heard of Barclay before. And so I just applied to them. I spoke to another a family friend called Julie Macy, who, who had done some work down in the southwest and also up in Manchester. And she she had met Tony a few times and she said, Tony Pidgey, and she said, he's a great person to work for. You should go and work for him. You'll learn lots for him. So... I applied, I got through the application process, I resigned from BOC, and that was that was the sort of first chapter of my career done. So, so Tom, so that's that sets the scene then, doesn't it? And it's you sort of uh, told that really, really well. What what I'm curious to do now is just learn a bit more. What was your first impressions then of of this Barclay group? So Nick, my my first impressions were um quite quite interesting. I I I turned up one morning. Uh, 6th of April 2006, 8 o'clock in the morning, which was a bit of a shock to the system. So I thought most companies started at nine. It was probably the third time I've been to London in my life. Um, so it was all quite new to me. I walked into this porter cabin and was met by um, a chap called Angus Mickey, who was my MD, and another chap called Peter Nesbitt, who was the chairman at the time. They've both been, they've both been around the group for a long time. Um, they were very much land buyers. Um, they were always looking to duck and dive, trying to cut deals here, trying to you know add value wherever we could. They were really really interesting characters, and it was a small business at the time. We just set up the St Edward joint venture between Barclay and Prudential, so there was lots of things happening. I worked out pretty quickly, Nick, that uh, everyone senior in the business got into the office before seven o'clock so within a few months of joining I decided that actually it was probably best for me to get in that time in the morning and through that I got to know quite a few of the senior directors having sort of chit chats with them having a quick coffee with them in the morning and that was really for me where it kind of started to become second nature you know the, the myth that people get up at silly o'clock at Barclay is, is, is unfortunately 
fairly true in, in the senior levels in particular. And I spent the first few months working my way up through the, the sort of initial graduate scheme. And after a few months, Angus actually said to me, look, you know, you don't need to be on the graduate scheme anymore. We'll give you a, give you a proper job. So I stepped off the graduate scheme. I spent a lot of time with Peter and Angus, who were very much focused on teaching me about, you know, developing schemes, how you bring forward these big projects, um, how you look around corners. There was also a couple of other guys, Steve Richards in technical and Brendan Toomey in commercial, who taught me a huge amount about the kind of nuts and bolts of how you put buildings together, how you deliver them efficiently, what the process is. And Angus and Brendan in particular have been mentors to me ever since then. Angus doesn't work for us anymore, but Brendan is now running our Barclay Modular business. I think after a few months, I got my first meeting with Tony Pidgeley, which was interesting. Um, how much, how, you've, you obviously, you're now inside this business, right? Mm-hmm. How much of a myth and legend was was Tony at that time, <laughs> just people who worked there? He was very much a, a legend and uh, not that many people got to have interactions with him. Certainly not, not at my sort of pay grade. And um, I was very lucky just because Peter my chairman was so passionate about this project that he had me working on. He said, you've got to come and sit, sit down. You've got to come and speak to him in Cobham. Um, so we went to see him down in Cobham and he was very, you know, willing to talk. He was willing to sort of have a chat. And he, I think at that meeting, I got the first of many tellings off over my career. Um, <laughs> so set the tone right. But I think Tony always taught me, one of the things that Tony always taught me was just talk to people, doesn't matter who they are. I always remember he, whenever we went for meetings with, with chief execs or councils, council leaders or councillors, whenever we were sitting on the left, he'd always randomly speak to someone, regardless of who they were, what they were up to. He always had that knack of just talking to people. He loved just finding out stuff about people. And that's one of the sort of key things that I kind of worked out as well actually just you know have a chat with someone it, it, you know what's the worst going to say they're not going to talk to you or they're going to say well, why are you asking me this question and that that was one of the sort of key takeaways I took from quite an early stage of of working with Tony um, and as things progressed you know I was like a big sponge at that point soaking up the job soaking up London things outside of work um, my girlfriend had moved down to London at that point so we started to settle down and it was all going quite well and then suddenly um, September 2007 came along and I remember it very well because we had just bought our first home together three weeks beforehand and then in the middle of September Northern Rock collapsed and that was really probably quite a defining moment in my career and probably quite a lot of people's career because that really marked the start of what was quite a difficult period for a couple of years you know we our business went into a very much a batten down the hatches mode. In, I think about a year later, Lehman's, Lehman's collapsed. All the UK banks were being bailed out. Um, everyone's share prices were sort of falling through the floor. And it was actually quite a, it was quite a downbeat atmosphere at work. Um, a lot of our sites were being put on hold. Um, we merged a couple of businesses. A lot of people were being made redundant. I remember Friday afternoons were really, really not very unpleasant because that's often when people were obviously being released so that yeah those those sort of two years from september 2007 on to sort of middle of 2009 things started becoming quite downbeat at work a lot of our sites were put on hold we restructured the business and merged to another part of the business we were making quite a few redundancies friday afternoons in particular were quite a 
difficult time in the office. We um, often let go people on a on a Friday afternoon, and it, it really wasn't there wasn't a huge amount, amount happening. We had a few sites that we were sort of progressing through various stages of planning, but it really was kind of just focused on trying to look at um, you know smaller sites that were in distress, um, and really just just trying to keep head down and, and sort of make out that you know, obviously you were you know still valuable to the business. And um, you know I was lucky in some respects that I was you know recently. Uh, recently um affordable to the business i suppose at that point and um yeah we got through that and what does a land manager do you know during a recession that's <laughs> a good question uh, so a land manager so during during the time a land manager at barclay doesn't just buy land so a land manager at barclay would have um you know we, we obviously looking at land buying land running planning applications but also doing development management so more on the back side of um schemes okay. so we spent a lot of time replanning our schemes you know trying to make them work trying to make them more valuable renegotiating one sixes with councils etc so it was quite varied um quite varied during that time and and presume barclay schemes are big aren't they they're longer like sort of life cycles than most they they are. I think I think in back in those days we did still have some smaller schemes that were slight. There were that did have a little bit more flexibility in them. So the, the, there was a very there was, we had a very varied portfolio at that point. We were working on the big regions of Royal Arsenal and Kibbrook down in South East London, but we were also working on small schemes in Acton. We started working on a site in Wimbledon, so it was it was quite quite varied, quite varied. And, and, and if anything, during during those those that difficult period that the attitude of the group was trying to sort of buy smaller sites, less risk, turn them over faster. Um, and, and we were still reasonably well positioned as a business. So it was a, it was a, a, a definitely a period of my career where I learned a lot about how things don't go to plan. And I actually, we talk about this quite a bit now with, with sort of our, my peer group about how, some of the younger generation that work for us who, who aren't that much younger than me, sort of anyone probably below 35, never really experienced that, have never really experienced that that feeling of what a recession feels like and, and does to you. And, you know, it's it's something that everyone will go through at some point in their career, if not two or three times. And, you know, it it, 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 it does, you know, the, the, our businesses are sick clickable business that the day property goes up and down so it's something that you always need to be slightly conscious of and and you know it, it can be obviously quite disconcerting when you know that that is that is potentially coming around the corner but i always say to say to people that if you you know if you're good at what you do you will always you know find a way through you'll always find a job you'll always find something to do through that period and things do generally pick up relatively quickly which which they did didn't they in the in the UK Partic- particularly regeneration you know, from, you know from from my memories the sort of uh, two thousand seven to two thousand nine you know yes it was a very very painful quite you know it was frankly it was in in times it was just a really dull period because there wasn't there wasn't a great a great deal sort of happening but sort of two thousand and nine sort of onwards there started to be then sort of the green the green shoots what was happening in your in your sort of career sort of two thousand nine to sort of two thousand eleven. So from 2009 onwards, I started, we started recruiting people again as we started building the team. And I got to take a step up to senior land manager, I think 2010. Um, I had a little a, a sort of team and I started developing more people skills. I was getting involved also. They restarted the group graduate scheme and I was starting to get involved in, um, in that process, which was good using some of my experience with that. 
it was it was it was an interesting because the market was opening up but there wasn't many players in it um mm-hmm. we were one of the only businesses around with money and cash so we were able to buy a lot of land in that sort of probably three to four year period after 2009 i also started managing uh, more directly my own planning applications and managing the sort of consultant team that goes with that so that's you know managing budgets managing um you know probably 15 to 20 people to coordinate a, you know an application that might have a you know a gross value of sort of three four hundred million pounds a so big 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 projects for someone relatively new to the business still and yeah it was it was um it was it was a good time and i got eventually promoted i think in 2011 to a land director role and i joined a, the board of western what was western central london at that point and that that created another step in my career in so much as that i was now involved in different functions of the business and the land director's role often is about coordinating people from um, the sales team from the build team you know, you're you're supporting a, a bid to buy a site, so you need to understand every function of the business and how that works. And then, you know, you need to work out whether people are, um, you know, filling their boots or not being too, um, you know, being too pessimistic about a view on things. And it, it was it was interesting because you you do develop this development of negotiation skills internally within the business. Effectively, you know, you have to make a judgment call on certain sections of of the sort of financial numbers and the stacks, and and also as land director you start doing more of the direct negotiations with the sort of local authorities um and i developed quite you know quite a lot of negotiation skills during that period learning still from the likes of angus and and peter and still having started to have more interaction with with the group um as well Um, still being told off by tony still being told off by tony definitely yeah (laughs) Uh, um and the other thing as well during that period actually we started developing I suppose slightly more sophisticated approach to um, how we delivered these schemes at an early stage. So a lot more community cons- consultation, a lot more positive engagement with um, with residents, and that was something that I was quite heavily involved in at the start. And um, it, it, it was good because it was, you know, we talk about it a lot now in terms of involving the community and how we develop the schemes. But back in those days, it was quite a, a new concept. Um, and the local authorities really, really took it on board as a as a really positive aspect, and that that was a, that was an interesting thing that then, you know, teaching teaching some of the you know team how to do that, and um, you know, seeing them going out and talking to people was was really quite a was quite a good skill to impart upon people. And I think some of the team that have come up with me through the business have learned a lot through that that process. If I ask you a quick question, at this point, obviously, you sort of. The, the years sort of um, are, t- are ticking by. You know, you mentioned about sort of moving uh, moving with your girlfriend a few years earlier. Are you still rocking up to work at seven a.m.? I was, yes, and actually that that's when I started. I actually started becoming quite unhealthy. I had put on quite a bit of weight, and I was getting quite tired. I was probably drinking too much and eating too much. And when you when you're working long hours, it, it does become quite hard work and. Um, you, you sometimes you don't put your health first and i i felt that my physical fitness was affecting my ability to sort of think straight and i was sat sat in the office next to a chap called mike Williscroft, who was the project director at the time for the crossrail project at royal arsenal and mike's gone on to become 
I think his latest latest uh, promotions joint uh, CEO of Countryside Partnership South. So he's you know he's obviously gone on to do some fantastic things as well. But he was really into running, cycling. He was a really super fit guy, and I sort of thought one day, why don't I do that? And so I started running, and from in twelve months I went from fifteen stone to about eleven and a half stone. Um, I lost I think eight inches off my waist, and I felt so much better for it. And I'm nowhere near as fit now as what I used to be but I now know when I'm probably slipping back in the wrong direction again so I can make a conscious decision to up my fitness level if I'm feeling the strain from work I want to kind of you know address my physical fitness it helps me mentally so yeah it's it's uh, I'll, I'll often try and get into the office early um, earlier and go for a run in the morning or cycling to work during the summer, so it's it's a it's a balance. It's certainly it's certainly more of a balance than probably what I used to have back sort of almost ten years ago now. So if I um, for for sort of a timestamp, we're around about sort of now twenty thirteen, is it? Yes, twenty thirteen. Um, uh, and so you know, I've got I've got I've got the, the dates in front of me. Next next comes up another uh, another big promotion, right? Land director to your first MD gig. Yeah, that's right. And it, I've been having discussions with our divisional managing director, Carl Whiteman, um, at the time about potentially becoming an MD. And there was a kind of uh, fairly rapid restructure of our business that happened in the spring of 2013. And quite a lot fell out the back of that. And, and I ended up uh, becoming MD of Bar- what was Barclay West London at the time, which um, had about 115 staff. I was very much thrown in at the deep end there. The market. How old were you? I was. I think I was. I must have been thirty years old then. So. So thirty years old, MD, one hundred and fifteen people. How many sites or what's value? We had, I think, four or five sites at the time, either in build or in pre-development, including some of our sort of highest, probably the most prestigious scheme we've ever built, Ebury Square in Belgravia. So, really complicated, big projects. Yeah, it was it was quite daunting. It was quite challenging due to my age. Um, I had some great people around me who knew I'd been obviously at Barclay for a, you know for a reasonable amount of time and and sort of done my done my time and had a lot of support. But I still got quite a lot of not kickback, but you you could tell there was an element of oh, what is he doing? He doesn't know what he's doing. He's too young, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. After a couple of months, I got a, a new chairman, Brendan, who I mentioned before. Became my chairman, which was a massive help because Brendan was, from a production point of view, much more experienced, and he let, he he helped me grow in my role, understand more about what I should should be doing and what I should be spending my time on. So, yeah, that was that was interesting. I, I was I was really lucky in that period. Actually, we got to do um, quite a bit of uh, overseas traveling. I went on a couple of sales trips abroad. Um, it was quite interesting talking to customers, doing presentations. It was good fun, and we also at that point with some of our higher end schemes buying um supplies and materials from some various sources all over the world so i remember spending going over a few times to the middle east um to see our joinery supplier and 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 part of that was really that some of these projects we were delivering was were very very important to the group at the time and it was really about relationships and making sure that the people that we were entrusting overseas, which were you know sometimes more difficult to to monitor, they knew that we were you know being serious about our relationships. We were prepared to jump on a plane to go and see them and and sort of you know make sure that they understood 
what, how important it was for them to deliver things on time. So that that was a really interesting period in terms of sort of widening my scope of knowledge around um, the delivery side of our business. Out of curiosity, I'd, I'd heard an urban myth about Ebury Square. Is it is it true that sort of Tony on a on a tour thought it was that good? He bought one himself. <laughs> he did. He did buy an apartment there. Um, that is true. So thirty year old MD. 150 employees, probably what, one, one and a half billion pounds worth of kit to spend more? I don't know. Pro- pro- probably something around that sort of territory, yeah. It must have been at the time. So. Also building your chairman's house at the same, the same time. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious about, because you, you, you glanced, you went far too quick over in terms of sort of how you sort of ingratiated yourself there. With Brendan's support, what do you think was the biggest lesson you learned? Ooh, that's a good question indeed. Um, I think the biggest lesson I learned there was that I was probably not quite ready for that role. Um, <laughs> it, it's a very, being an MD of, of any business is challenging. You know, it's, you, don't, you don't get there if, if you're not that. But having the experience to know where you should be spending your time and what you should be doing is probably the, the, the biggest point I took away from that because I just didn't know where to spend my time. I'd be working silly hours, but actually probably not achieving as much as I would now looking, you know, with, with my experience I've got now. And at the same time, I think we had our first child, which, you know, added pressure from home life. My wife was fantastic. She stopped working and, you know, looked after, you know, looked after everything at home. So um, I don't think I could have done it without that. Um, and it, and it was, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was, like a, it was a really steep learning curve, a really, really steep learning curve. Um, it, it was, it was, it was fun, but I, I kind of, I, I knew that it wasn't probably going as well as I would like it to have gone um, at the time. And I think. What would you have done differently? I probably would have asked for more support. I think at the time uh, I had Brendan there and had a, a, a great finance director, but it was the business was growing quite rapidly and we were employing quite a lot of new people as well. So it was quite difficult to to uh, not keep control of it, but to really kind of keep on top of everything that was going on. And I think there is a, there's an element of you can do that. You can do that when you've got more experience and I probably just didn't have the experience particularly in in the sort of non-core parts of what I learned in in the sort of land side of the business you know and, and that's uh you know that was that was the, the good thing about it was though Nick is that ultimately the business sort of respected that and saw that actually the the, the conversation I had with Angus I think in, in mid-2014 when he was my divisional managing director then was actually that it was probably good, a good time to step back into a, a sort of more senior land and planning role. And we actually set up another another business um, purely focused on land acquisition and planning. And um, I, I moved back into that role as an MD of, of Barclay Urban Developments at that point. And I, I kind of view it, I viewed it very much at the time as though it's sort of a, a sort of consolidation phase. I'd learned a lot in the last sort of 15 months. I'd accelerated my way up through the business at obviously a very fast rate and actually now was the point where I just need to take a bit of a step back understand what I'd learned from and then kind of start start rebuilding so was it a step back you, you're, um, those, those are your words aren't they it was a step back from that role as an operational MDs definitely it's in terms of 
I suppose, grade and seniority it wasn't. But I was going from, you know, obviously having a team of 115 people before you having a team of 10 people again. So that that's quite a different, um, a different sort of feel about it. But I think th- there's a lot of people both in our, in, you know, in our industry and, and specific to the business that go through ups and downs through their careers. Um, you know, you hear lots of stories about people in our, in our business in particular who, who sort of get promoted up and then often they fall into the, into the, into the bad books and then kind of take a step back or step sideways and then rebuild themselves and come back stronger. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's what you should do is that, you know, you've got a long career and you can't expect to just keep going up and up and up and up all the time um, without having to take some setbacks. I, well, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, but I, I, I'd probably give you, I'd go one step further. I think you hear an awful lot about sort of people who get sort of over promoted yeah. and then they get stuck. Pride gets in the way. They're not willing to make it, make a change. Um, and, you see careers drop off a cliff as a consequence. Yeah, I, I, I've seen plenty of plenty of that happening at, at our company over the years and, and, and other companies within, within the group. And I think sometimes it takes a fairly honest discussion to be had, you know, uh, amongst people about what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and we still, you know, we still have those discussions now with, with people in the business where you know that their ingredients are right, but we've just maybe not mixed them in the right, in the right way or put them in quite the right place. So it's... Uh, know it happens um and as you say that the the consequence for some people is often that they obviously um end up in a very different place you use the words then sort of consolidating and and then um uh, and i'm very grateful for that because that fits in very very nicely with my my own agenda about talking about these repeating chapters in, in careers acceleration consolidation and then a catalyst or a spark and the people who I get to sort of interview have this ability to create these opportunities for themselves. They don't wait for it to occur to them. So what was what was the opportunity or what was the catalyst then that once more sort of put you back in terms of accelerating in terms of your career? So with this with this new sort of land and planning focused business, I had a lot of support from from Angus to really kind of take the next step in terms of the sorts of sites that we were acquiring at the time that the market the market in london was really motoring at the time the sales market was 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 doing great guns and um this next phase we acquired between sort of 2014 and 18 required some of our biggest sites that the group have ever have ever bought we bought um a big site in, in oval wimbledon hill park a site at a former prison in richmond another site in kensington we bought Nine Mill Bank, which is the building next to Thames House, and then we also bought uh, probably one of my most memorable me- memorable sites, which is uh, West End West End Gate in Paddington. And I will it, it's probably my one of my top three, if not my uh, probably most memorable moment with Tony Pidgeley. Um, we've been courting this site for a, a while. Um, it was owned by a, a Cypriot family. And they had a very high price expectation. And for years, this site had been sat vacant and no one could unlock it. But through one of Tony's contacts in, the, in the, you know, his usual manner, he managed to find a route through a particular problem that existed on the site. And um, off the back of that, we, we were able to get to a position whereby we were broadly in agreement with the landowners. And we had a meeting with them up at the um, lobby in the um, Carlton Hotel, Carlton Towers. Yeah, on um, Upper Sloan Street in the in the lobby there, there must have been six or seven of them as a family, and Tony, myself, and our and our agent from JLL, and uh, it, there was quite a lot of backwards and forwarding 
uh, we kept sort of standing up, walking away, having a chat, coming back again. And there was one particular point at which Tony got up, said, right, I need to make a phone call. And we, we wandered over to the, to the, to the um, doors and Tony said, I don't really need to make a phone call, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so it looks like I'm making a phone call. So, okay, right, okay. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to say who he called and what, what that person said, but um, it was slightly different to what Tony said to relay back to me. And anyway, we went back to, we went back and shook their hands. And I think two weeks later, we bought the most expensive unconditional site the group had ever acquired at the time. So that was quite a, it was quite a, a feather in the cap and it was, um, you know, a really exciting project to be involved in. But also it came with quite a lot of pressure because we'd bought this really big, expensive site. It was complicated. And actually it was one of the, it was a really, really good example of where people can work together if they're given the right ingredients right from the start. So at the, my, my, my role was to take it through planning, buy the site and take it through planning. But the business that was going to build it was was being run by my Brendan, my old chairman, and he. Um, we worked with his team really, really closely through the development of this scheme. And actually, we set out probably what's viewed now as a very good practice for taking these big sites through planning, working really closely with the, the sort of production team. You know, doing things where we'd not done before, where we had two architects on on the project. We had the architect doing the planning and and sort of doing the you know the selling and the, the sort of pretty pictures and making it look you know great in front of everyone. And then we also had a technical working drawings architect working alongside them, which was was quite unusual for us to do through a period where we were getting planning and obviously um, you know spending fees at risk. And it, and it was actually a really good process. And I was able to bring along some of the some of the team and sort of develop them quite well through that process and i think that's put them in really good stead going forward and a lot of those those managers at the time now have become um senior managers or directors in the business and it was it was a, it was a good time and we were we were also adapting quite a few of our schemes at the time there was there was certainly a lot more openness from the local authorities to negotiate planning permissions at the time they wanted to get development happening you know post recession london was really struggling to get things going so during that time, I, I really started focusing on relationships, developing relationships with stakeholders, councillors, senior officers. Um, I was lucky enough to be spending a lot of time with Tony meeting these people. And it, one of the things that it really started getting through to me was just spending face time with people, you know, whether that was in formal meetings or informal meetings, just, just, just trying to get to know people better in industry. And I think my sort of confidence grew quite a lot in that period. I was, I was much more confident to go and, and talk to people, meet people I hadn't met before. And that for me then sort of started rebuilding um, my sort of my career at Barclay. And um, and then in the middle of that all, Brexit came along. I don't think it's a day that many people will forget, but we, <laughs> we, were, at, uh, we were taking some guests and entertaining them down at the Goodwood Festival of Speed on that Friday morning. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget seeing our share price drop by 43% during that day um, at one point during that day and it was a lot there was a lot of concern about oh are we going back to 2008 again and um, we didn't the market obviously had a had a, a fairly bad reaction to that those events but um, actually our, our, our business and our people all adapted fairly quickly you know we carried on going got more schemes across through the planning 
um, playing stage, and we were in a we put the business in a really good position. So those those sort of four years that I was I was involved in that um, land and planning business, we put we went from having a fairly uh, scarce land bank, but a land bank that certainly needed filling to a position whereby we had some really fantastic schemes coming through and sort of they filled back up the land bank. Out of interest, you always refer to we. How much did you? How much influence did you have on that? Because that sounds like an incredible achievement. How much is that? Is yours? So we at Barclay generally talk things through a lot together. We we there, there isn't a huge amount of t- time for people with big egos in our business. So it, it's 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 often when we've got something that we want to talk talk through, we'll do it as a, as a group of people, we'll make a decision collectively, and. I mean, things like when we're developing a planning application, in my role in, in that particular part of my career was really focused around sort of coming up with ideas around vision. How do we move these projects from being a, you know, a, a sort of standard product to being something really special to coming up with ideas for architecture, for design, for landscaping? What what can we do that's going to be attractive to the local authority to sort of sell it to them? So that that's kind of my role. But ultimately, as the team who worked for me, who then had to go and take those ideas and, and, and de- deliver them, um so it, it's it's it, we we use the word we because it, it's such a collective um approach in our business from not just the land and planning side but all, all over the business and um i think that's one of the things that probably people always just thought that tony tony was you know did everything and made all the decisions but it it wasn't tony was always there as a often as a bit of a statesman but he and he'd often be having those conversations with us and we'd be talking through and debating things with him it was never Tony saying, this is what you're going to do. It was always us going to Tony and saying, what do you think about this? Should we do this? What do you think about, you know, what do you think we could change this? And, and it was it was a very much a, uh, you know, a collaborative approach to, to effectively to our end goal, which is to deliver fantastic places um, for our customers to live in that are special, that no one else we, you know, can deliver to, to the sort of standards that we do. Okay. So what next? What follows after this? So in a, I think it was around the middle of 2018, we restructured the business again. Um, we had a number of operational businesses at that point, and we pulled those back into the centre and created a sort of large divisional business, around 450 people. At that point, uh, Paul Valoni, who is, uh, became the divisional managing director for the business, and I'd worked with Paul in various sort of guises before, but not really directly for him. And Paul's probably one of the longest-serving Barclay employees um, he's been there for over 30 years and he's really helped develop my skill set in the business. He's given me a huge amount of his time. Um, he's given me a really good chance in the business in terms of promoting me across different different areas of the business. And um, he's also very good at promoting people from within the business. He's a big advocate for taking someone who's, you know, a step below or two steps below and giving him the opportunity to, to grow within the business rather than recruiting externally. So that was that was quite a big change working with Paul. And the, 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 my role was was a more senior role within the divisional board, focused on land and planning, but also looking at commercial property and affordable housing. And at the same time, also took over the role on the joint venture um, on St Edward Homes on the St Edward Homes joint venture board, which again was a kind of another another part of my role that I hadn't done before. I had probably more authority and and more scope to influence things in this role um i also became a member on the st edward 
joint venture board, um, which was which was interesting. So you're dealing a lot more with the sort of senior senior team at M and G. We grew the land team further. Development management function, in particular, of our of our business was becoming larger because our sites were so much more complex. And the sort of property developer part of um, our business was was needed more in in the delivery of some of these um, complicated projects. I think um, I was spending again more time with with um, Tony Pidgeley and, and Rob Perrins, our chief executive. I was developing more and more wider senior level relationships externally, which I, I really enjoy as one of the, my the, the roles. I really, really one of the parts of my role I really enjoy. And also during that period, I started talking to Paul about what my next step is in the business. Obviously, you know the natural step was back in an MD role an operational md role but the business wasn't in the right place to do that at the time so i started thinking to myself well if i'm going to do that i need to have someone someone who can take my role on so i was lucky actually at the time because i had three really good land directors really good land directors and i started thinking well i need to actually deliver you know i can i can develop all, all three of those um and then I've got no problem with taking that next step on. And actually, the principle, I call it the principle of number twos. And I talked to my, man, my current management team quite a bit about this, about the fact that if you don't have a number two or someone who you think you can get into a number two position, it's always quite difficult for you to move on in your career. You want to be able to say, I've got someone who can do my, can do my job. And that, that takes that pressure off, actually, you being held back from taking that next step. And then we got to early 2020, and as we all know, the world span on its head, and COVID came along. And actually, as a you know, in, in the recession 2008, obviously very junior, I didn't really experience the the sort of what happens when you're in a senior management position during a, a period such as that, where everything's suddenly quite scary. And I remember sitting down and talking through. Uh, what we're going to do with the, the senior directors in the business? What did lockdown mean? What did it mean for us in terms of a business with our sites, uh, our staff? And yeah, it was, it was a it was a challenging time. And I think being resilient and our, our, our business being very resilient, we kind of just got on with it. We adapted our ways of working really quickly. I mean, our sales teams did a fantastic job of turning it in a you know overnight from face to face selling to digital selling, and it was it was amazing to see how they did that and how they adapted. And um, I think the, the the business has has really kind of you know transformed during that that, that period. And um, you know it was it was a, it was a difficult time. Um, it was quite you know I'm sure many people found it quite difficult those three months or so. Um, I, I was actually going to the office every day still because we still had um, all of our sites were open and so we were still able to go in. A few of us were able to go in to sort of continue to, to run the ship, but um, it was still it was still difficult. It was you know there was there was no escape then, as everyone you know, put it, and um, it was it was odd as well because Tony Pidgeley was isolating at home and you know he wasn't. <laughs> He wasn't able to kind of touch and feel his business, which was quite challenging as well. And de- and dealing with Tony was 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 it was quite a challenging period. Um, you know, he was getting quite frustrated. You can see that, and you can understand why. 
And we just got back into actually going to see him down at his farm in Windsor, um, probably in early June 2020. And I, st- I remember very clearly probably getting one of the biggest tellings off I've ever had from Tony, shall we say, um, at a meeting a few days, uh, probably it was actually a week before he passed away. And to the point where I actually had to go and have a chat with him one-to-one a couple of days later, which was really good. And we had a good chat about life and what was happening and where things were going and what I could, you know, what the next steps in my career were. And um, I'll always remember that because it was the last time I saw him and it was four days before he passed away. And I've still got a text message in my phone, actually, that he sent to me on Saturday morning after I saw him on the Friday afternoon. And I'll always say, I'll, I'll save that for, for the rest of my career. And I, I think, you know, we've got his memorial coming up in a couple of weeks' time at St. Paul's Cathedral, which is going to be a really big event. So I'm sure it'll be quite an emotional day, um, but also quite a you know, big celebration of what has been, a, you know, what, what I don't think many people could ever replicate in terms of what he achieved in his lifetime. And there's, there's, there's certainly an element of pride having, you know, regardless of whether it's Barclay, Barclay or whoever you, know, you work for, to have said you've worked with someone like that. And, you know, you, you've certainly, uh, you know, picked up, I've picked up and developed a lot of skills and thought processes from, from working with such an inspirational character. So, yeah, and um, I suppose also, after covid I, I i've also slightly um started uh exploring a couple of interests outside of work my daughters are sort of growing up now they're six and eight and i've got quite heavily involved in a local cricket club with them um and giving up my time as a, as a coach uh which i really enjoy and i really enjoy at both at work and and personally seeing at home seeing you know trying to encourage you know the ladies in my office and my team to be you know to to be successful you know i can see obviously it from both sides you know i want my daughters to be involved in things and being strong and getting involved in teams and having fun from a from a young age and being being pushed you know the you know i think the 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 sport is becoming you know particularly ladies football and ladies cricket it's becoming a you know really really mainstream um, event strong yeah, it's it's, it's, because it's it's getting to closer to where it should be. There's still a lot of work to go, but I think for me that seeing how the young girls develop and how confident they are um, helps me see things differently when I'm at work as well. And I think that's sort of a really positive mindset on, on, on me over the last sort of 18 months I've been doing it. So, um, and that, yeah, that, that, that kind of concludes that, that sort of period of time. Um, takes us probably to last summer now. Which is when I took, which I when I when I took took, took on my my most recent role as operational MD at, at um, Barclays and Edwards Central London. So Tom, before we wrap up, you've told a brilliant story. You've been really, really kind. I think to lots and lots of people who've sort of uh, affected your sort of career throughout this. But what I don't think we've really got to the the nub of is your career is unusual. It's unusual for, for lots of different reasons in the sense of, you know, one, in terms of it's been a very, very successful career. But I think what makes it more unusual is that you've done it within the confines of a, of the same business. And so many more people have, have tried that, hit hurdles, got stuck in middle or senior management, and have had to, to get out in order to, to once more sort of accelerate their career. 
and you've been able to constantly sort of reinvent and sort of find opportunities in these catalysts for your own development within that same sort of confine. So how, how have you done that? Uh, I think, I think for me, you've got to adapt. You've got to be prepared to adapt, accept change. A lot, I, I, quite a lot of people I sort of see don't like change they get scared of change they don't think it's good I think change is great change is really interesting because things you do differently things and actually I think um you know you learn a lot often from your mistakes you learn more from your mistakes that you make and I think one of the things that we we've as a business and as a sort of senior management team is is started to you know move away from the model of when people don't do things, you know, quite as we wanted to, to sort of making it a positive intervention rather than a negative intervention. You know, with one of my sort of personal commitments I made last year around praising people who do good work and making sure that they are being seen to be praised in front of other people. And I think, you know, you, you know, as a leader, my current MD, Paul, he's always been said, said to me that as a leader of the business, you leave quite a big wake behind. And actually that, that to me is where um, you know I've really kind of developed my sort of skill sets over the last few years and my, and my mentality to to kind of supporting people, developing people. You know, the reality is you can't you can't do everything yourself. You've got to get people around you. You can do do what you need them to do. And I'm not saying that you know everything's everything's perfect. There's still lots of things that can be improved. And you know, I I I, I enjoy that. I suppose the ups and downs that we experience on a on a fairly regular basis, and I, I think some people, some people sort of choose to not stick with it sometimes, you know, and, and that's that's often why they either get stuck or they'll decide that they want to move somewhere else. So, well, on on that that sort of note, uh, I think we've we you know sort of. My, my hope here is we're sort of planning a sort of a career sort of playbook. Lots of different people can sort of dip in and dip out and learn and learn, learn from these recordings. And Tom, there's no doubt people can learn an awful lot from this, mate. So thank you very much for giving up the time and, the, and, and being so sort of honest with the, uh, with the story. Well, thanks very much, Nick. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure.